Hi, and thanks for joining us for this third episode of Forest Dwellers Disco. Today we will be speaking with Samantha Dunn, who loves being part of the Dan in community and is a passionate advocate of community and environmental matters. She has been a three-term Yarra Rangers Shire councillor and also served a term in Victorian Parliament. She's been on a number of boards and is a champion of good governance, integrity, open and transparent decision-making, and most importantly, the environment. Samantha says she loves music and has from a very young age and has supported the creative community in the hills and dedicates much of her time and to inspiring others to love nature. And this is her talking to us about her musical journey. Enjoy. Alrighty, so welcome to this third edition of Forest Dwellers Disco, Samantha. Uh, Samantha Dunn is joining us today to share her musical journey with us. It is so lovely to be here, Blues. What an amazing initiative. Yeah, it's a really great idea, isn't it? Actually, I have to tell you, it was Tony Kirk's idea. Okay. Who who initiated it. Um, It's an awesome idea. It's a great idea. And we love the fact that we're getting to talk to people who are from our community and hearing their stories and what it's been like for them. And and music is an interesting vehicle for that. Um, And so we might just jump into our first question, which is, did you grow up in a musical family? Uh, kind of, I sort of didn't think I did, but when I reflect, I did grow up in a musical family because uh, my dad, when he was young, he was in a skiffle band that was in the UK, um, and my mum and dad loved music, so they didn't necessarily play instruments per se, but they were huge lovers of bands like Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, um, so Beatles. I know all of those songs word for word and probably because I was a child, never want to hear them ever again, like anyone with their parents' music. Um, so it was an interesting household, and they also loved going to uh, rock festivals of the day. So they were they were quite the rock festival hippies who went to the South Australian version of Sunbury, which was called Maponga. So I have memories of doing that too as a kid and seeing bands like Black Sabbath and Daddy Cool. Um, and the earlier version of The Angel. So when I think about it, yes, um, very great music appreciators and loved music and, and, and we all do and we also love dancing as the other side of that. Oh, isn't that interesting? And it's kind of interesting to, like, all the bands you mentioned, I really resonate to. My family were very big in the 70s as well. My mum was a band photographer. So, you know, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, Doc Neeson was once in my kitchen when I was five. (laughs) I've got the angel's envy. Yeah, totally. It's very funny. Um, so, you know, it's, but I think it's really interesting that you've mentioned about how with music, we associate it so much with the time and the people that we're with. But particularly music that reminds us of our parents, it tends to have that kind of you love it or you hate it and you can only Absolutely. listen to it in certain circumstances. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And I just think it's hilarious that, you know, when I start to hear um, Paranoid by um, Black Sabbath, I automatically think of my mum and dad because that just seems completely incongruous, but not in our household. 
particularly makes me understand why you would have chosen what is your first song so um and this first song is the from an album that you went out and spent your hard-earned money on so do you want to tell us about that sure and i always think that's that's quite the commitment when you're really young to actually spend your cold hard cash on something and so for me it was uh living in the 70s by skyhooks and and i just really love skyhooks and i think well, look, everybody either loves Skyhooks or Sherbet. Uh, there was no way on this earth I was going to be um, loving Sherbet. Uh, the divisions were great, as is Collingwood and Carlton, Sherbet, Skyhooks, and, and I was clearly a Skyhooks. Uh, and I just, I loved everything about this band. And when I think about it, it's the, they sung about Melbourne and they sung about Australia, but particularly about Melbourne. And I really, really loved that. Yeah. And to this very day, still love that they're talking about Melbourne. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they really were the first real rock band in Australia that told Australian stories mm. and really kind of voiced that um, weird displacement of the 70s in that sense of like, you know, yes. it was that it was the first time we were living in this sort of disposable plastic world and what that was actually like. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And had commentary about that in through their music and just that, that culture of Melbourne. And, and I just loved it. And I still really love it. I mean, to this day, I love that album. Yeah. It's funny you should say that because I had a listen um, in preparing for the interview and I kind of was like, my first thing when I saw your list was uh, I had a bit of a cringe moment and then I went, hang on, these guys are iconic. Step back and have a listen with some fresh ears that isn't listening to Triple M in the 90s. Yeah, and sorry. Is actually, no, 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 but that's and it made me think about how what music that is that iconic has that power because it came out and it was fresh and it was different and it was new and it was traversing new spaces. So it had all of that strength. But the reason it holds on and then becomes so mainstream is that it is iconic and it, yeah. and it does represent a time and a place and an energy, yeah? Yeah, and, and the thing is when I, I was very young when I bought that album, um, and when you're buying music then, you have, well, you have no concept of what a band's going to do and where they're going to fit into the future. Um, mm. And, of course, we look back at Skyhooks now and they are so iconic and st so much part of um, mainstream staple of Australia uh, and reflect a certain time. But they were just most amazing and fresh um, band at that time that oh, you just have to get a piece of the action. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like we should have a listen. So we're going to listen to Living in the 70s by the Skyhooks.
express about listening to that song to you and I wondered if you felt the same in that it really it is an era it is a time and a space of Melbourne that they captured so succinctly that it's yeah it really it is that thing that we're saying of like music that takes you back music that takes you to a specific experience of the world and encapsulates that yeah yeah absolutely and uh oh, like it it was a, a portrait of what was going on and some of those things i wasn't even participating in because i was way too young you know, how old were you when you purchased? I, I reckon i must have been about 12 or 13 i'm not quite sure i can't remember so 74 75 is the release yeah so i i would have been 
11, but I reckon I'm, I might have been 11 or 12. So that's, that's pretty young Yeah. Um, to be buying an album, but it, it was kind of the start of a, a journey that just simply hasn't stopped uh, in terms <laughs> of buying, buying music, just not vinyl anymore. Uh, that's great. Uh, I love it. Well, you yeah. could go back to vinyl. Vinyl's making a comeback. Well, I see vinyl is back, but the, the tragedy is I don't even have a turntable at the moment. I've gone full swing digital Bluetooth. Um, I still have all my vinyl. I'll never get rid of any of it. Uh, and one day I might even get a turntable again. Yes. Sounds like a good investment. <laughs> so um, the next song is what we would term your rebellion song. So what song is that song for you? Oh, well, look, there, there is no other song that defines this moment for me better than Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. Um, it was just a blinding flash of, I want a piece of that. These people are my people and I'm just hanging on to this movement because it is speaking to me in a way that that no other music had it spoken to me before. It was, it was almost like an epiphany, I describe it, as when I first heard this song. And... The only reason I heard it was my mum went overseas, which was pretty exciting because people didn't actually go overseas that much back then. And she bought an FM radio in the duty-free shop, which is pretty exciting too because no one had FM radios. Uh, and I managed to tune in to Triple R uh, at a certain angle in the lounge room. You could just pick it up in the foothills of Baronia. Um, and heard this song and just knew that this was my future. It was, it was really quite marked in my memory. I just knew that uh, the punk music, rock music, well, punk rock was the way forward for me. That was, yeah. that was my destiny and that's where I was going the minute I heard this song. That's really interesting because there's um, a great quote from Malcolm McLaren who says that he considered the song a call to arms to kids who believe that rock and roll was taken away from them. It's a statement of self-rule and ultimate independence. <laughs> Don't tell me Malcolm McLaren was right. That really doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Just great. scandalous man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and do you think that your kind of passion for punk was also reflected in the politics that was happening at the time? Because you've got all the stuff that's happening in Ireland and Northern Ireland. You've got all, you know, for the first time, it looks like the British Empire is going to go into a full-on recession. And then in Australia, you've got people like Whitlam have been removed from office. Like, you know, that whole period of time is really a reshuffling of the world. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that was part of it. I think definitely um, music with political expression. What I really, really loved about punk was that acceptance of, you know, anyone can just give it a go. You you don't need lessons. You don't need anything. You can just pick up a guitar and start playing or start singing, whatever you want. And it was also, on the whole, pretty welcoming of women too. Uh, so it was pretty much a level playing field uh, for people of colour, women, but it was more about, I guess, they just get in there and give it a crack and have a go at the same time. And that's probably some of those attitudes from those times have served me well over a lifetime. 
That's great. That's really great. Well, definitely that, um, you know, thinking about how you've been an activist in the hills for so many years, I kind of can see that punk thread <laughs> through there and that idea of, you know, not being prepared to accept the status quo. So how did you move from being someone who was into that kind of punk movement to, to choosing to go into local government? Well, well, look, you know, that was the biggest grapple I ever had was becoming something I had rallied against for years. So I had been anti-authoritarian for so long and then all of a sudden I'd become that person. And and, and it's interesting how, how life deals its cards. So, mm. I, I mean, the reason I became a counsellor was I uh, was part of a, a campaign to save Sherbrooke Children's Centre at the time because the council of the day wanted to shut down the long day care centre. I had a two-year-old in that centre and uh, the parents ran a very fierce campaign to save that centre. And, and we did that for two years up to the local government elections. And a couple of us decided to run in those elections just, you know, to stir the pot. Um, and so it was a great surprise to me to learn that I actually won. So it was a joke run that turned into a real thing. A real thing. And clearly I didn't mind it because I went back for two more elections. <laughs> Wow, how extraordinary. And so to bring that kind of ethos of um, anarchy and change into, I imagine local government in that time was quite rigid and structured. Was it still oh, it's silly. Or was it Yarra no, Rangers? No, no, it was Yarra Rangers. It was definitely Yarra Rangers by yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes, that yeah. would be an interesting kind of meeting of the self and and this kind of structure that you've rallied against and, and yeah. you've tried to find I a way forward grappled. in that space yeah and i always grappled with it um mm. and i was always concerned about becoming the thing that i really didn't want to be which is just part of the machine mm. uh that's what's wrong in our world and so i think for me uh, why i've kind of always been driven by scrutiny and integrity um, and fairness is some of those values that transferred over and, and, you know, not necessarily just accept what you're being told, actually scrutinise that and make sure that it's, any decisions are on the basis of evidence uh, and what I thought was the best outcome. So that drove a lot of what I did in, in local council and, and served me really well. Um, the other thing I think that, that punk gave me was a bit of a streak of fearlessness. Um, so not, not frightened to perhaps say what I need to say or do what I need to do. Uh, that's, uh, and happy to take a risk doing that. So, cause there's a fair bit of risk taking as a punk in Melbourne back in the day. Uh, and that kind of risky fearlessness served me well in local politics. Well, that's great. Um, on that note, let's have a listen to Anarchy in the UK. <laughs>
delved into um, an area of music that probably hasn't been my thing. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I've always respected the punk movement and I've always respected um, even the Skyhooks and this, the next artist that we're about to talk about, I've always respected them. Mm. Um, but they've never resonated with me musically which is really interesting to then have to go all right well what what is sam hearing what is going on yeah yeah yeah. when she listens to these songs and so the next question is about the song that reminds you or takes you back to a golden time in your life or an aha moment in your life um so tell us about that song uh well this song um it, this was actually a very hard song to pick out because I love lots of songs and there's lots of songs that really resonate with me. So I found this a very, very hard choice. But uh, when I finally landed on it, I just thought, yes, this is the one. Yeah. This is the one. And I think uh, a lot of it's to do with timing. So it was at a time when I think I was either 24 or 25. Uh, at that time, that's a golden age. You know, you don't have very few responsibilities, no encumbrances, you're going out all the time. The, the world's your oyster, basically. Whatever you want to do, and particularly at that time, which would have been late 80s, the world was your oyster. You can do whatever you wanted. Uh, and this song was like almost like a backing track of the many things. And I always... Um, lived out uh, in those days in the foothills of Baronia, but I'd always travel into the city to go to nightclubs, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you actually get to listen to a lot of music doing that. And this song was always on the car stereo. It was probably on a cassette even, um, recorded off the vinyl. Because <laughs> we were classy back then. <laughs> So it, that's probably the, the audio quality it was back then. But uh, I um, I had followed Nick Cave for his entire music career, still do to this very day. Uh, I really love him. I, I think his music um, just evokes, it, it, it's storytelling, but this I, I really love the the quality of the music and the story on this particular track just really speaks to me uh, and just takes me straight back to that time where, you know, it was great living. It was a really wonderful living. Those, those early 20s are wonderful, wonderful times. They are. They sure are. <laughs> it's interesting that you should say and associate this also with that sort of time because in um, 1995, Nick Cave was being interviewed and he says that someone came up to him and he's like, I love that you can write things like I'm not afraid to die. Mm. And he's like, but I don't feel that way anymore. That's right. I don't have that invincibility anymore. I wake up in a mad panic with death approaching you know and I, and I thought that's so interesting because then when you listen to the the song it really has this sort of driving mm. sound to it it's like it's grinding forward and it's going to strike its place in the world no matter what yeah yeah and I, I really love it and usually for songs for me it's about the music more than the lyrics. 
So the song has to, the music really has to appeal to me. Uh, it's probably my first port of call is the, what does it sound like versus what are the lyrics saying? But this sort of embeds both of those um, in a way that just, uh, I just really love it. I, I just, there are not enough words to explain how much I really love this song. And, and look, he's probably right because, you know, the older we get, the, the, the threat of dying is getting far, far closer than what it was back in the 80s, that's for sure. <laughs> that's great. Definitely, definitely. Well, I also think it's interesting because it has that same thread too, though, of the invincibleness of punk, of being able to stand up in the world and, and not be daunted by hearing the word no. Yes, yeah, and I think it's always that that the risk and the fearlessness that mm. I have always found incredibly attractive. Yeah, oh, that's mm. fantastic. All right, well, I think we better have a listen to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, The Mercy Seat. Nothing left 
And mm. did you ever see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds out? Oh, Live? yes. Yeah, yes, yes, and in fact, I saw them uh, the very earliest time was at a punk venue in Melbourne called the Crystal Ballroom, <gasps> which is where everybody used to hang out in Melbourne if they love punk. And uh, so early was that uh, Tracy Pugh was still a member of the band who, who's since uh, well and truly dearly departed from that band. So I uh, have seen various iterations of them over the time uh, and just... I, I just think Nick Cave's amazing. He's an amazing artist um, and it's, you know, the, the luck of um, him forming part of the the soundtrack and background of my life throughout my entire life is just a, a wonderful and amazing thing. And although a lot of people think, oh, God, who's this maudlin, sad, depressing guy, uh, I don't get that from listening to Nick Cave at all. I I actually Mm. find him incredibly deep, uplifting and uh, it's yet another one of those musicians who kind of, you know, gets right into my soul. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So um, to our final question of the interview um, is this is the song that if you have only one song that you're allowed to listen to and you imagine you're in isolation and the NBN's not working, which I'm sure you've experienced in the last two months, what is the song that you would choose to play? This was a terrible question, Blozel. A (laughs) terrible question. To narrow it down to one song only ever. So if I was contested before, I completely lost it for this question. Um, but, of course, I, I chose uh, The Passenger by Iggy Pop. And um, another, it's a very evocative song for me. It, um, I guess the, the story it paints around riding around cities um, is one that I found really attractive as well. Um, it's a great song to sing along to. Uh, I never tire of listening to it. So if I'm listening to a playlist and I happen to know this one's coming up, uh, I'll I'll just wait that playlist out to make sure I listen to this one or just, you know, click forward to this one. Um, I was completely contested because there is another song I do that too, which is a Rage Against the Machine song. But uh, in the end, uh, I went with Iggy Pop because uh, I uh, have been listening to him a hell of a lot longer than I have Rage Against the Machine because he's been around a hell of a lot longer. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, when I was having listened to this song as well, it was kind of, it's, another of those songs that's become so part of the fabric of music that I had, I knew it, but I didn't know it. Yes. And then I listened to it. I was like, oh, I remember this song. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I was really um, kind of blown away in terms of the way that, again, it's become a song that defines the sort of nomadic aspects of punk and that idea of traveling through the world and no not a lot of permanence i guess yes yeah yeah and i think that's what i like about it's just this sort of shifting through space um in a way i guess that it in a style that only iggy can deliver um (laughs) 
and look, there's probably, I mean, there's probably a super common thread through most of these songs. You might set Skyhooks aside maybe um, as a little different, but um, there's definitely a real common thread through all of these songs uh, that resonate with me. And if you had to encapsulate that thread in a sentence, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, it's something that's uh, a rebellious, call to arms, risk-taking, fearless, dark, uh, and yes, from those those things. I think there's an there's an element of darkness to a lot of songs I like. Um, and I just find that a very attractive proposition. And it's not because I'm maudlin or depressed because that's the sort of, that is just not the sort of person I am at all. Uh, but I just really like um, that style of music. Yeah. Well, I, I what I quite liked in the thread of the music that you've presented is that the dark is always presented beside the light mm. of it. So it's like it, it, it is that more rounded human experience that you don't always get in, say, pop music. Pop music is often tends to either be very bright or very sad and it's not about a, a kind of a wholeness which yeah. I think is what these, all of these songs really represent. Um, my other favourite thing that I discovered about Passenger was there was an interview, I think it was in like 98, where Iggy Pop was said that he thinks, because he can't really remember what he <laughs> thinks, that he mainly wrote The Passenger driving round with David Bowie mm. Because he didn't know so the license. story goes. So <laughs> <laughs> like, the story goes. What were David Bowie and Iggy Pop doing in a car together? And what were those conversations like? Yeah, well, they actually collaborated. And yeah. I find this fascinating to think because um, David Bowie's a. He's a pretty out there guy, but he just got incredibly good mainstream, I guess, take up of his music. But yeah, collaborating with Iggy was yeah. Uh, geez, I'd love to have been in that taxi. That would have been a wild ride. Totally, that's what I was thinking. I was like, hey, they would have been intoxicated in some form. So the conversation would have been amazing. Mm. Yeah, and if anyone could remember America. it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right, well, we better have a listen. This is The Passenger by Iggy Pop.
talk about the thing that we kind of touched on very early on before we started the interview which is that you for someone who has been such an active feminist and someone who's been into women's rights and activism you've actually chosen songs from men and I know and and it was interesting to think about that do you I mean I imagine that there's not really any method in that but do you think that there's a reason why Oh, yeah, I think there's a few reasons why. Um, because I've got to say, when I thought about these songs and looked at that list, that, that was the thing that really uh, poked me in the eye, was where are the women uh, in this list? And, and I think it probably speaks to uh, an age where it was harder for women to get airtime, generally, really hard um, and that list is probably quite reflective of that now there are a lot of women um, artists that I dearly love mm. but what is interesting it interests me that none of them made it to that list so that the closest and I did grapple with the Susie um, from Susie and the Banshees does the most amazing cover of the passenger uh, it's one that I listen to as much as I listen to Iggy, but I, I ultimately went with Iggy because that was um, really the, the first and foremost one. Um, and then I thought, mm, you can't really just shove a woman in because um, the list doesn't look good. Because if you're talking from the heart, you're talking from the heart. But yeah. uh, I think it does speak to uh, a rough, the rough deal women have had um, getting airtime. Now there's far more freedom for women to have. I mean, there's some amazing bands now uh, that are 
are women, not just fronted by women, but are women uh, who are playing amazing music and actually get airtime as well. And people are interested and people want to hear them because I think there was a bit of the, oh, we don't want to hear the women, particularly back in the 70s. Yes, definitely. Mm. Well, definitely, and we don't want to hear women have those kind of opinions. No, that's right. As well. So I can totally yeah. understand how, as a woman who wanted to have opinions, who wanted to have a voice, you've chosen people who had a voice. Yeah. And I kind of think, you know, I think that's where music is genderless. Yes. Know? It doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman or anybody singing that song it's about the words and how the music speaks to you yeah yeah it's yeah. the what are you saying yeah yeah mm. definitely definitely yeah, wow absolutely. well thank you so much for joining us we might sneak Susie and the banshee's version on at the end of the show um, <laughs> just quickly wanted to just check in with you what are you up to now what's happening in your world now okay well um i'm working for a disability service provider um, and like a whole lot of other people i'm sure everywhere uh, their world is um around dealing with covid19 and how to make sure that people um stay safe and uh up to date with everything so that's going really really well it's work i love to do because it's actually about uh, nature-based therapy um and therapeutic horticulture so uh, it suits a uh, someone who's you know has environment running through their veins uh, very well uh, to to do this in a, a way in a health allied health way. Uh, it's it's terrific. So uh, I'm doing that, and that's great. Well, that's awesome. All right, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you on Forest Dwellers Disco. Thanks, Bluezel. <laughs> Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe. More episodes coming up very soon. As promised, here is the bonus track, Susie and the Banshees, The Passenger. Stop.
eres 